rain, it has to be beautiful. <laughs> have a thirsty, thirsty ground, and it really brings in, maybe makes the flowers bloom like a rose. I keep looking for that, looking for the time God's going to bless us. I welcome to you our on telephone line. I want to start by first saying about this sermon that a lot of times I've heard over the years, um, the years in this little group, that people think that most of the sermons are poised at all of us here in Anatol. Um and that we must be awful bad because they get, we just get hammered on all the time. Not so today. This sermon is for the church of God. Wherever you might be. If you're hearing it today on the telephone line or sitting here, or some, maybe someone's hearing this in the future, this is for the church of God. This is for each and every person and not just those that sit here in Anatol. Because God's message is to everyone. God's called each and every one of us and put us in this position. Here's a question for you. Have any of you ever owned a full-length mirror? You know, you have this mirror that goes from the floor to the top of the door, that maybe you can walk in there and look at yourself. <laughs> Could be scary, couldn't it? Think about this sometime. There was a, there's an ad on TV. There's this doctor, he's standing here with this big mirror. It's more than just a full-length mirror. It's pretty wide, you know. It's probably bigger than the door. And he's saying in this ad, if people could only see themselves like I see them. Well, what do people see you like? Suppose you were to obtain a mirror, big like that. And you would take and put it on your bathroom door. And I suggest if you do, you get a deadbolt and bolt the door so no one can see and you become in your birthday suit and look at that person and say to that person in the mirror, Who am I? What am I? Now, that might be scary because I look back and I thought about this of some young kid in his teenage playing football, and, you know, and he had all his hair, didn't have to wear glasses. He could hear pretty good, had all his teeth, and he could pound on his stomach, and you know, he had his girlfriend who became his wife, could jump on him, and it didn't affect him. So, you take that person now and goes in the closet, or in, in the bathroom in this mirror, and locks the door, and looks at that person and say, wow, what a prune there is now. <laughs> what happened to that young person Think about that. Ask yourself, who am I? So I put down 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12, 11 and 13. It said, when I was a child, and I thought back, hey, when I was a child, what did I look like? I spoke as a child. You're right. You know, I could boast, I could brag, I could do all these things. Hey, the world is in front of me. I understood as a child which wasn't very much. You know, you go talk to some of these older people and, ah, this guy doesn't know nothing. I'm a young man. Man, I've got the world in front of me. I thought as a child, no end to life, you know. Hey, everything's in front of me. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we stand in front of that mirror, we have to ask ourselves, have I put away childish things? Do I have things that are not so childish? I remember my wife and some of my children would want to, Hey, Mom, this person did this, this one did that. And so what did my wife do? 
she had a little piece of claw, and she'd pin it to their behind clothes. It was called the tattletale. Because sometimes people want to reflect what somebody else is doing. Not if it's, you know, she said, if it's going to hurt them, you know, if it's going to cause them a problem, yes, you come and tell me. But if it's just to, to give them a problem when there's nothing on, it's called a tattletale. Sometimes we get that way, don't we? We see somebody else doing something else and we want to run and tell somebody, oh, look what they're doing. Is it hurting them? No. Is it hurting you? No. Then why are you saying anything? But because we were children, and when we're young in the church, we're children. In verse 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly. Even now, we don't see everything that the Father sees. We look through a glass darkly. But in the future, we're going to see face to face with God. Now, we know in part, but in the future, when we become spirit beings, we will know even as we are known. So we look in this mirror, and we see this physical human being, and know that that person is flesh and blood. My wife and I were looking over the article we have on the Georgia Guidestones. And one of the things they say in the Georgia Guidestones, that they want to have 500 million people on this planet do away with everybody else. If you're old, like a few of us. If we're maimed, like a few of us. If we have faults, you get rid of those people. We don't want them around. All we want around is a hundred million people to rule and 400 million people to serve. <laughs> so if you can't serve and you're not the ruling class, where are you going to be? Be away with you. But, you know, society and human life says one thing. You're human. You don't think like God. You don't see like God. And there's always been, from day one, if one person is in charge, somebody else is going to want to be in charge. So with their ideas, it'll never work, will it? It'll never work. Because they can't see themselves the way others see them. So we ask ourselves as we look in that mirror, who am I? You ever thought about asking a friend, um, what do you think of me? <laughs> it could get scary. I've heard this over the years. I've never, I don't think I've ever had the uh, nerve to go up to a friend and say, what do you think of me? Uh, just afraid that they might say what I don't want to hear. They might be telling me the truth. But it's not the question of what somebody else thinks of you. Do we ask the question, what does the Father think of you? Does the Father say, I see you naked, spiritually, physically? I see you. Do you see you? It's easy to look at each other, isn't it? See you say, hey, I see your faults. I know what you've done wrong. So does God say that. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We all probably know this. We've all gone over it probably a lot of times. We've already memorized it. The first verse says, Judge not that you be not judged. Why would God ever say that? Well, we know Christ said that. Because here we're asked to look into that mirror. 
So we're in this bathroom, lock the door, and in our birthday suit, and we say, looking at that person, hey, you know, Joe or George or Jim or Alice or Mary, look what they are doing. Why, if they only had my ability. And you're looking at that person in the mirror and saying, how great you are, aren't you? I know that there are a few people, bodybuilders, you know, and they build their muscles up and they grease themselves down and stand in the mirror and just think how great they are. But for the most of us, we're not bodybuilders. We're not going to look at ourselves and say how great you are. Because if we look at the mirror and say, you're a human being. You have a limited lifespan. So how can we then sit in that physical mirror and put somebody down? Because we're judging them based on what? Who I am? You know, if you ask a friend that, what do you think of uh, me? Okay, you have three people there at separate times. One, someplace down the line, you hurt their feelings. What are they going to say? Well, you're a jerk. You're a bad person. I don't want anything to do with you. Then you find another person who you've helped, and they come up and say, man, I couldn't have, I don't know what we'd do without you. So you got two opinions. Or you have my third person who says, I don't know, I don't think about anything. It's like a, 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 an accident. Five people are going to give you five versions of the accident. If you ask people about who you are, you're going to get different opinions based on the individual's thoughts, actions, and their life. And a lot of times you're going to base it on how you would deal with somebody else. So, it's difficult. It's difficult. So God says, judge not. Why? Because your opinion might not be the same opinion of them. Their upbringing, their in-depth of study, their willingness to give, their willingness to to take, their willingness to fight, their willingness to love. All those things different. They vary. And if you judge somebody else, you're going to weigh all those factors into that life of that person. And it might not be what's right. goes on to say in verse 2-4, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. So if you stand in that mirror in your bathroom and you're judging somebody else, you have to say to yourself, you know the way I look at these other people, I'm going to be judged the same way. Whether they judge me that way or God judges me that way. And with what measure you merit. So if you say they should do it this way, ask yourself, would I do it that way? Am I willing to go that far? Or do I have limitations on the way I would do it? It shall be measured to you. Because if you measure out and you're going to say you're going to do it this way, because that's the way I would do it, do you do that? What happens if something major happens and you say to yourself, well, uh, I'd rather take care of myself or my family or somebody else rather than give up what belongs to me to help someone else where the other person might be willing to go all the way and help you and not take care of themselves first. And why behold you the mote in your brother's eye? Oh, hey, I see my brother's sin. Okay? 
And I'm judging him by the way he acts his daily life. And I've seen him sin. Or my sister sin. Or my children, or my wife, or my husband, whatever it is. I've seen him do something wrong. And I don't understand why they did it that way. Why don't they make a change? But consider not the fact that's why we look in the physical mirror and look at the person in the mirror and think, physically, what shape are you in? You know, I can look out there, and I probably tease and shouldn't do it, but I've said time and again, I eat to live. And that hurts people that have extra weight because they think, hey, I live to eat. (laughs) And that's not the case. It is wrong for me to do that. I know that. Because my body metabolism uses up food faster than somebody else. Can I condemn them for what they do? Can I judge them based on their body metabolism? On their needs or not needs? So it's wrong. Why can I then say, why can't I consider my problem? Because I don't want to see my problems. Neither do you want to see your problem. You don't want to look at yourself and sit down and analyze yourself. We just don't want to do that. It's, it's hard. Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull the mode out of your eye? You have this sin, which apparently isn't too great. Let me help you get that out of your uh, out of your life and straighten your life out and not recognize the fact that you're going downhill faster than they ever thought about. You're on this freight train heading for the cliff and don't see it because you're too busy seeing somebody else's problems. We've done that for years in the church. We've always found fault with someplace else. Haven't we? I don't care whether it's this little group looking at another little group or congregations inside bigger groups of people. It's always the same thing. They see the fault of the other person. We can find the fault with the man who's been given a job to lead songs. Because, hey, I can lead better than they can. Or maybe the person has a project to, to do something and they can look back and say, if I'd have had that project, I'd have done it a lot better than they would have. Or would you? Or maybe we look at the pastor and say, he's full of flaws, isn't he? But hey, don't have me go look in the mirror at me. Because I might have flaws too. Or maybe the elder or the deacon or whoever it is, whoever it is. Christ said, He calls us hypocrites when we judge other people. When we find mistakes in other people, He says, you're a hypocrite. He said, first sit down and look in the mirror and see who you are. That's the first thing to do. And get your life straight. And when your life is straight then you're going to be able to help somebody else. It's easy to find their faults. Paul said in Romans 3, who is without fault? Paul wanted to know, who on this planet has no faults? So Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous No, not one. What? You mean we all have difficulties? The spiritual mirror is more important than that physical mirror. It's easy to put up a physical mirror, walk away, and forget who you were. We're even told that. We can look at that physical mirror and forget 
that person because our daily life leads us other ways. But the spiritual mirror is a lot different. It's God who judges us. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understands. We don't have a total understanding of everything. And so one church group jumps on another church group because we know more than they know. No, you don't. You only know what God allows you to know. There is none that seeks after God with his whole heart. I'll add that to it. None that really seek God with their whole heart. Only a few in history have totally sought God with their whole heart. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. Because the spiritual mirror is so important for eternal life. And we've gone off doing other things, and if we want to look at that spiritual mirror, it says you are unprofitable. There is none that does good. Again, he states, no, not one. In verse 23, Romans 10, I mean Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned. It puts every human being in the same category here. So if we read it back to Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not. How can we say, I'm better than you, when Christ said to Paul, we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. Every person is in that category. Even before Christ came, Solomon wrote, you know, here's a man that was so full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. God gave him extra because he asked for love, compassion, and wisdom. And God gave it to him. He writes in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Ecclesiastes 7, 20. For there is not a just man upon earth. God gave that much understanding to Solomon. There's not a just man upon the earth that does good and sins not. It's hard to go back into that spiritual mirror and say, God, Father, show me who I am. But that's what's required of our life. God says it's not required of you to find fault with another person. Because I'm telling you right now, I don't care what they do in their life, you cannot get them into the kingdom of God. And you can't keep them out of the kingdom of God. The only person that you can affect is number one. That person who can go into his bathroom and stand in front of that mirror and say, Who are you? Who are you? Because you can affect your wife. Well, you can. You can pull them down. But if they want to do it God's way, you can't affect them. Galatians 3.22 But the Scripture has concluded the Scriptures, the Bible, the handbook of life, actual mirror that we should be looking into, the Scriptures have concluded all under sin. Everybody is under sin. That the promise by faith of Emmanuel Christ might be given to them that believe. So the offer then of the love of our Father is to give us eternal life. That's what's offered to us because of Christ. Because He didn't judge us. He even said, I don't judge you. The Father does the judging. He came to make it possible that you can have eternal life. So when we look into God's mirror, what do we see? God's mirror. More important than the physical mirror that we look into because God's mirror tells us what He's looking for. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Looking into God's mirror. If we say we have no sin, and certainly if we go out there and judge other people, are we not saying, hey, I'm above these people, far above them. I'm probably one of the better people around. We're saying, in effect, I don't have any sin. John wrote, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because the mirror of life is the Bible. Life is eternal life. What we have here is only a training ground, a temporary existence that's to be transferred into life. So if we say we're not sinners, we're pulling the wool over our own heads. If we confess our sins, so then that mirror is we go to God, we find out, not just hearing sermons. Too often we can listen to a sermon and say, man, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Never heard anything like that before. That's like looking into the mirror and walking away and forgetting who I am. What we should do with sermons, because they're the mirror that put us to the Bible, is to study. Just hearing something and doing nothing about it won't cut it. Because if we hear it and do nothing about it, then we're judging other people. And we're judging God, in effect. But sermons are to go out there and Look into it. Study it yourself, because you will never understand it just by listening to somebody else. We can take their opinion, but does their opinion count? You have to know. So if we go to our Father on our knees, first go look in that physical mirror, look at that human being, then go in there and get on our knees and say, Father... I can see a physical, flesh and blood human being who is a sinner. Who comes short of the mark that you set. I'm coming to you saying, I see now this sin. We don't look at every sin probably. Because we categorize like everything else. We categorize our sin. This one's a little worse than that one. Although God said if you break one commandment, you broke them all. So sin is sin, and the wages of sin, Paul said, is death. So whatever the sin is, whether it's a, the little bitty one that we maybe tell a little fudged story, or we stole something or killed somebody or whatever, it's all the same penalty, isn't it? Death. Not eternal life eternal death. But if we go to our Father and say, I've just looked into that physical mirror and see that physical human being who's got all these faults. Forgive me. It says that the Father said He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Isn't that a spectacular blessing to know that we can go to our Father and He says, I love you enough. I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm going to give you life. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, I will take this mark on this board that says, you did this, 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 and take the eraser and just wipe it out. It's gone. As far as the Father is concerned, that's gone. But we have to see who is committing the crimes. Who's committing the sins. I mean, I don't want to confess all the things I do wrong. I wouldn't want to tell you them. Maybe I'm too ashamed or just don't want to admit it. And you can think about that. 
yourself. That's why you go to your friend and say, what do you think of me? I really don't want you to tell me. <laughs> that is, unless you really like me. And if you really like me, then yeah, you can tell me. But if I've done something wrong, I don't want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to know it. And so, we go and hear a sermon, and God says, I correct, I point out, I tell every person, every child I love, their mistakes. So as the Father tells us, that's okay, but don't we tell each other. Because we see each other on a daily basis, and we don't want to know it. And we don't listen when God tells us. God says He will wipe it out. He'll forgive it and forget it. We, if we somehow tell each other our faults, have a bad tendency to not forget. We can remember things that somebody did 40 years ago. 60 years ago, depending on how old you are. Two years ago if you're just that young. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 10, we make God, inserting there for Him, a liar. If we say that we're not sinners, then we're calling God a liar. That's what He gets to. And that His Word is not in us. So we have to be very careful in our walk in life on how we criticize and condemn other people until we can look into the spiritual mirror and the physical mirror and say, you are the one. You make the mistakes. It's easy, isn't it, to look at the faults of other people. No matter where they are, what group they're in, I had a friend back in Fort Myers. Liked the man an awful lot. I knew he was a smoker. I never told other people. I didn't judge him badly for that. I liked him. He was a friend. He had a disease. But what if I had looked at him and said, why, that rotten so-and-so. He goes to church and smokes. Or do I say, he's fighting it, he goes to church, he helps the widows, he'll bend over backward to help people that are in need, he gives everything he can. No, it's easy to say, I don't know why they let him come. I don't know why they let this woman come and uh, commit adultery. happened, hasn't it? I know I'm jumping ahead here. See if I can't get back on track. See, that's the fault I got. I I get off track here. But we all get off track. Mr. Armstrong used to say that. I remember back in the late 60s, early 70s, he used to just come down on the church and say, the church is off track. It's gone the wrong direction. Or he'd get up there at the Feast of Tabernacles and say, you people just don't get it. And I'm sitting back there saying, what are you talking about? I get it. I know it. (laughs) One of us did that, didn't we? I mean, if you want to really admit it, what do you mean I don't get it? I get it. I'm here, ain't I? But God inspired him to say that. You don't get it. You're off track. Well, was the church off track? What happened in 86? 90? 95? The train was so far off track, it was destroyed. We need to really take a good, hard look at our own personal life. James in 
chapter 2, verse 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy. Talking to me. You know, hear God saying to Nelson, You're going to have judgment without mercy if you show no mercy. So I, you know, change it a little bit there. He that has shown no mercy. If I don't give mercy and willingness to help and forgive Christ through James said, I will have no mercy. But it's easy, isn't it? Hey, I saw you do that. And mercy rejoices against judgment. Why did God say, Christ say to the scribes and Pharisees, you tithe meant coming to Sinanus. I mean, you tithe... If you made $10, you'd tithe a dollar. If you made $10 and 10 cents, you'd tithe $10. You'd tithe a dollar and a penny. They said, you forget something else that's more important. Something that's far greater than that. Because you look at the problems other people have and forget who you are. He said, you forget judgment, mercy, and faith. And if we're going to look into the spiritual mirror, which is the mirror of life, do I have right judgment? Do I show mercy? And do I trust other people? Do I have faith that they're going to make the change? We have a responsibility, yes, to each other. In James 5, verse 19, tells us, Brethren, if any of you do fall short of the mark, err from the truth, fall short of what you know to do right, and one convert him. In other words, it comes to us and say, you don't judge that person, you help him. You encourage them. You show them the mistake. You don't judge him for it. He said, if you know of a brother or sister or anybody who comes short of that mark that God set, this is the guideline, they come short of that, and you go and you help them see their mistake and convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from his error of his way shall have saved a soul from death. Yes, you help somebody work and maybe achieve eternal life. If you judge them, you shorten yourself. And will hide a multitude of sins. And God says, I'm going to wipe these things out. But you can't wipe out sin like with a fellow in Fort Myers. You can't help him if you can't show him the mistakes he's making. Not condemning him for it. You don't know their capabilities. You don't know how strong they are. I've got a son. I watched him put his leg on a 250-watt soldering iron, big soldering iron. Get a, the greatest burn you can get. Never cried. I couldn't do that. So I don't know your capabilities no more than you know mine. And God's not going to condemn you or judge you on my mistakes, nor am I going to be judged on your mistakes. This won't happen. It's easy to, to look out there and just get all bent out of shape when somebody else did something else. And really put a judgment on it. We'll look at an example of that. That example of David. You know who David was. King of Israel. He was anointed king. Called a bloody man. Did a lot of things. Committed adultery and killed his friend. One of the 
top 30 men that was with him, he murdered him. Oh, he didn't actually shoot him or do it. He just had him out there in the front line, pull all the troops back and let him stand there by himself and let the enemy shoot him. He murdered him. God didn't like that. The mirror of life, God sent to David, Nathan the prophet. And God gave Nathan a little bit of wisdom. Nathan didn't judge him. Nathan didn't jump on David for killing his friend and committing adultery and all that. No. What happened? Nathan came to David and made this story. Second Samuel 12, verse 3, 2, verse 2. There was a rich man that had uh, exceeding many flocks and herds. So here's a guy that was really well-to-do. Donald Trump or whoever, you know, you look out there. Somebody really, really, really well-to-do. Has everything, doesn't need anything, he's got it all. But there was a poor man who had nothing. Most of us. Poor people. Save one little new lamb. Just one lamb. But the poor man had uh, one new lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, did eat in his own meat and drink his own cup and lay in his own bosom and was with him and his daughter. So this poor guy only had one lamb. That's all he had. The rich man had everything. He goes on, there came a traveler to the rich man. And he spared to take his own flock. He didn't go out there and take of what was his already. Now this is Nathan telling David, the king, Pointing out something to him. He didn't take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that came into him, but he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that came to him. He stole the only thing that the poor man had. We're going to see here David's reaction, David's judgment. Remember in Matthew 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. Through what judgment you make, you're going to be judged. And that's why this story was there. Verse 5, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. How often do we get that way? How often do we see somebody else do something and we see it's wrong and we ought to come down on them hard, whether it be the president or Congress or the county? We see, hey, they're doing these things wrong. They're bad. Man, I am so angry I could just tear them to pieces. David's anger was greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan the prophet, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. David made a judgment based on his way of life, the way he saw things, the way he did things, the way he responded. Was it right? Or six, and he's, he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. That's why God says, judge not. Do you have pity? Do you have mercy? Can you forgive? Or do you 
hold everybody to your standard of life. It's good that God doesn't, doesn't, isn't it? It's good that God doesn't, is willing to forgive when we go to Him and say, please forgive me. Nathan responded to David, Judge not that you be not judged. For what matter you judge, you will be judged. Nathan said to David, You are that man. Thus says the eternal God of Israel, I've anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. The judgment that you made, David, is now on you. Judge not. Because it could come back to bite you more so quickly than what you think. So we know what happened. We have Psalm 51. A psalm where David said, I now look into the mirror of life. I see who I am. I am wrong. And go to the Father and say, forgive me. And God forgave him. So somebody comes to you, slaps you, curses you, steals from you, whatever, and eventually they come back and say, oh man, I really didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? How do we take it? How do we approach that? There ain't no way. Remember the story of the two servants? One went to the master. Said The master said, you know, you've been doing some pretty rotten things here. You owe me a lot of money. And he said, forgive me. I, you know, I'm going to pay it back. Just give me another chance. It's okay. I'll give you a chance. Sure thing. I forgive you. I love you. That servant went out and what did he do? He found a fellow servant, owed him almost nothing. He grabbed him by the throat, probably threw him against the wall and said, You're going to pay me every cent you owe me now or I'll put you in jail. What's the right judgment? The judgment was, the master came and said, I forgave you. You did a lot of wrong things. Christ comes to you and says, I forgive you. How come you can't forgive your fellow human beings? Why do you have such a gripe and grudging and look down and throw them in jail? Did I not say, judge not, that you be not judged? The Christ example in John chapter 8, verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. Here, Jesus went out into the Mount of Olives. In the early in the morning, verse 2, he came again to the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. He wanted to teach them the kingdom of God. Our job is to make known the kingdom of God. We're supposed to let everybody know what is in the future for mankind. Of course, scribes and Pharisees who really trying to, to put him down. They came to him and brought to him a woman taken in adultery. Well, they went out to find this. Well, they set it up, you know. They say, this was all a set-up deal. And when they had set her in the midst of them, they said to Christ, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. In the very act. How do you know that? Did you set it up? You know, you have to ask the question. You know, were you there? Did, uh, is this just, are you just trying to condemn me? Now Moses in the law 
commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Do we do that to our brother or sister, our friends? Do we throw the law at them and say, the law says this, what do you say? You know, do we try to trap each other, trick each other, try to, try to get advantage, try to, try to see if we can't find fault with each other? What do you say? This, they said, tempting Christ. Sometimes we tempt each other by finding fault with each other. They tempted him that they might have something to accuse him of. But Emmanuel stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. He is made out like I'm not even listening to them. Although he heard everything they said. So when they uh, commune, asked him, continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and said to them, important question he put to them, a question that comes to you and to me. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Again, we go back to that mirror. What does God think of you? Do we go to God and say, show me what you think of me? We can ask each other that. And we can take it sometimes as helpful or hurtful. But when God tells us what he thinks of us, we better make some changes. Because it's your eternal life that's at stake. So when somebody else commits a crime, and I had this happen, I knew a, a good friend in Fort Myers who told a group of people, because someone had sinned, he said, next week I'm going to get five bags of rocks. And when these people come in, we're going to stone them. And you know, their whole attitude changed. Because they could think, am I sinned too? Am I subject to stoning? Am I judging these people? Because if that's the case, then that judgment of stoning those people means I need to be stoned too. You know, in Revelation 3, talking to the Laodicean church, people say, I, the Laodiceans, I have need of nothing. I've got it all. Do we? Are, are we so equipped we have everything that we need? When Christ himself says to us, come back and, uh, in reality, you're naked. You know, to me, I can see you without clothes on. Spiritual clothes and physical clothes. You are naked. And you're blind because you don't see what I'm trying to get across. Because you're not willing to look into the right mirror and see who you really are. We need so desperately, so desperately to look into the spiritual mirror. We need to find out what Christ thinks of us. When we find someone else making a mistake, do we think in our minds that that person was hand-picked by the Father to be here. Handpicked out of the billions of people on this planet, that person, that one individual, or that group, or whoever it is, was handpicked, perfectly selected. God gave it a lot of thought. 
But they're, they're sinners. No, that person was handpicked by God. In Luke 6, he, he tells us, Luke 6, verse 31, And as you would that men should do to you, do it to them first. Of course, I added that, you know. Do you also to them likewise. But we need to do that first. If we look at somebody else, we need to say, Hey, I want to be forgiven. I want to be helped. I want to be given. I want to... Then go out there and do that first. Whether they treat you that way or not. Because isn't that what our Father did? What Christ did? It says that He never made one railing accusation... They spit on him. They accused him. They tried to find every fault that they could. They tied him to a stake, took a whip and ripped his flesh off his body. They finally took him and nailed him to a tree, put a spear in his side, and he never accused them. He never brought a railing accusation against them. Because that's what he wanted them to treat him. So he's treating them the way he would like them to treat him. The way he'd like each other, each of us to treat each other. We're not to go out there because these people, each person, each human being that's being called, being worked with by God, being handpicked, belongs to God. And so he says in Romans 14, verse 4, Who are you that judge another man's servant? Who do you think you are that gives you the right to judge my chosen person? I selected them. What gives you that right to put them down? Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands and falls. We stand and fall in front of Christ, in front of the Father. Yes, he shall be held up, for God is able to make him stand. Because God can help. We can pull him down. God can build them up. God can give them eternal life. We can destroy them personally through fairy tales or because we get angry, because we have our attitudes in the wrong place. We can destroy other people by telling things that are not true. James 4, verse 10. James was inspired to say, Humble yourself in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. Our responsibility is to be humbled in front of God. We can't humble somebody else. So we stand in front of that mirror, that physical mirror. Let me tell you something. If you were to do that today, most of us would become pretty humble. It's a scary thought. What we look like. But when we look in front of the spiritual mirror, you should be pretty humble to think that there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Speak not evil one of another. Can I not emphasize this enough? that we don't judge each other. He says, speak no evil one of another. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, which means then you're speaking evil of God, and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, 
but a judge. And if we judge the law, we judge God. Are we not handpicked? How can we judge God? Why did you choose that person? Uh, maybe you didn't look in that physical mirror and say, God, why did you choose that person? But yourself, you know. What, what, what can I do? There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. And that's not me or you. Who are you that judge another person? And we're talking spiritually, putting them down. Well, you're just never going to be in the kingdom of God. You're going to go in the, in the lake of fire. How do you know that? Who gave you that right to say that? Are you God? Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. How can we do that? The only reason we can do that is if God is willing to help us. One of godly characters, or the greatest godly character, and we can go to Galatians 5 and read godly character, but godly character, true godly character, is godly love. We take them and read 1 Corinthians 13, we forget the first part. It says this is what humans are, and we forget the rest of it. Godly character is godly love. Godly love will not judge another person. Oh, I know it says we will judge angels, but we're not ready to do that yet. We are just not ready to judge angels at this point in time. Christ is because he was willing to go all the way. We have to be willing to go all the way. Judge not, that you be not judged. And the only way you do that is to look into the mirror of life. That mirror tells us who God is and what God wants from me, wants from you. Oh yes, we can say, well, it wants that from everybody else too. But I can't do anything about them. So I have to look into that mirror and say, what do I change? How can I please God? Can I cause somebody else to go out? Probably. I can probably do some rotten things. But God says, if you do, I will hold your foot to the fire. But he wants you to take this book, which is the mirror. It's the book of life. It's the book that's going to be taught in the world tomorrow. Because it says you're going to open the books. Which books? Same things we're judged on right now today. God's judging me. God's judging you. God's judging the church. God's judging the people. But we have to look in to see where we stand as an individual, how I measure to Christ, not to another human being. How does Christ judge me? I have a book here. It's filled with things I still don't understand everything in it, and I don't think any human being does. We're all learning. But the biggest thing is, he says, you look into the mirror of life, and if it's not enough, go look into the physical mirror, and then look in the mirror of life and say, who am I? Can I judge my brother, my sister? Well, I probably can make a judgment. Would it be good? 
Probably not. It will be biased, no doubt. Who then is my judge? Who is your judge? We have one that is a judge. Christ said, I don't judge. The Father does. How do I, ask yourself, how do I measure to Christ and to the Father?